0: welcome to agile adventures where we explore concepts tips and tricks that help your teams achieve their goals and dreams all right, okay cool all right let's let's get going so we're saying operations so yeah we're saying operational effectiveness too much of a good thing uh, so saying top quality management benchmarking time is engineering change management the quest for productivity so yeah there's a bunch of management tools but uh, but yeah but they're saying that strategy needs to be that which you're what not how you're doing it but what you're doing like doing or, or not or not what you're doing but doing it differently than everyone else or doing it meaning, the the it seems like the point was that operational effectiveness is making having the best process for making a mousetrap and strategy is making a better mousetrap. That's how I took it to mean. Well, that's what I took it to mean.
1: Right. Yeah, I think I I think that um. So when they do that versus the operational effectiveness versus strategic positioning. Yeah, it's, they're, it's almost like they're defining strategic positioning, like kind of like what you just said, building a better mousetrap. Like I, I define it as, whether really you making the choices different than your competitors. But yeah, saying doing something different than your competitors. Um. I think that, um, and they are right, it's different from operational effectiveness because operational effectiveness is most concerned with just how you arrange your resources to produce whatever you're trying to producing. Um, and, and they're kind of saying, hey, you know what, you know, when you're thinking about strategy and positioning, you have to figure out how you're doing things differently than um, and arranging everything that's different from your competitors. I, I guess the, the main thing they're focusing on is, is again, well, positioning is your competitors. I I think this idea is kind of obsolete, though. Like, I mean, let me just use a Cirque du Soleil as an example. Cirque du Soleil didn't actually think about. The competitors, as much as they thought about the customers themselves. And if you look at what a circus soleil really is, it's not really a circus in the traditional sense. It's, it's not a, really,
0: it's a pretentious individual. dance troupe.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, basically, what they did was they, they figured out
0: how to market you know, interpretive they, dance.
1: <laughs> I think they figured out what did people really like. Right.
0: But, but there are people who like Cirque du Soleil. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm shocked.
1: Hey, I, I all I know is that Cir- Cirque du Soleil has many shows now, and most They're circuses so are shutting down. <laughs> right. I hear. And, but I, I don't think that what Cirque du Soleil's management did was focus on the competitors as much. I, I think what they did was they said, all right, you know what? Um, there's a traditional circus, but there's some things that this traditional circus that people don't like. You know, the, the climate of the country in the United States is going against um, abusing animals. And that used to be a key part of the circus is having animals do all these tricks. I I, I think
0: that, do they have freak shows? Or just, or just the whole thing a freak show. The
1: the, the whole thing is, <laughs> but you know they the the highlight of the circus used to be like being able to see an elephant, right? Um, and I, I think that yeah, I, I think that what what Circus Lady did was say, hey, do our customers really value that? And the answer was no, so they didn't even try to provide for it, right?
0: Do 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 traditional circuses still have elephants? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. because people have zoos, like you know.
1: Yeah, I think traditional circuses have clowns. They go out. I've
0: never been to a real circus. Um, Apparently, my 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 older sister once went to a circus and when she was a kid and started um, and was like mortally. afraid and so my parents promised her that they never go back to a circus again and so even though none of the promises they made to me they kept but this one they kept
1: (laughs) well don't take it personally i'm sure it has nothing to do with how much they love her versus how much they love you right
0: (laughs) i think i think it it goes like gender stereotypes like oh man like If a girl is crying and scared, you need to shelter her. If a boy is, he needs to man up.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Or, yeah. Did I ever tell you about the pets? How, like, my sister, like, had and and killed by neglect at least three different types of mammals. So, um, So while she was, like, you know, killing animals, like i like like they told me unsolicited by the way that i would never get a pet because my sister who is you know nurturing and responsible even can't care for pets so obviously me who is who is a male you know we i probably would never be able to nurture a a a mammal anyways so, yeah, so I never, I've never, I don't really know what happened to the circus to like compare the circus to soleil, but I just remember watching a video of it for like it was a five minute video that felt like a half an hour.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, I, I think circuses went out of favor because the taste of the public changed. <laughs> And they would the traditional circus was so focused on their competitors, they lost sight of what consumers actually wanted. So they were uh-huh. providing a product that the public didn't really want. Um, trying to keep up with themselves so much, and Cirque du Soleil said, "Hey, we're just going to focus on the on the public. Forget our competitors."
0: Okay, but and like what we've been talking about, like. So, yeah, so this thing about being client-centric, though, like, or our consumer-centric, or customer-centric, and, like, listening to what they want. There's uh, this, is, like, quote that, like, that, like, they, they attribute to Ford, you know, that Nazi anti-Semite, but uh, that, you know, they, they asked, like, if, which... He said, like, if I would have asked people uh, what they wanted, they would say they wanted uh, faster horses. Right. Like, um, so you can't really just take input from, like, what people want, right? I
1: I think you can. I think that... um...
0: I mean, listen. If you wanna, if you wanna tell me that Ford was wrong about it, another thing, I'm happy to listen to that. You know, <laughs> not a, fa- not I'm a actually,
1: fan. I'm actually gonna say that um, Ford was wrong about this, right? And again, this, this goes down to the 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 definition of strategic positioning, right? I think that strategic positioning is the definition is really more about choosing the kind of value that you think that your consumers want. And it's a choice, right? You're choosing what that value is. They're actually portraying it as though it's more about how you provide the value rather than what the value really is. And I think that you can choose like what you think, I think that we all do choose what we think customers value, and we produce that. I think I think that what what customers do value themselves, um, we don't al- always really know. We make decisions about what it is, and marketing and sales and the the feedback loop involving agile, is about this constant uh, focus to challenge the assumptions that we have about what customers want by validating it with the customers themselves. So the natural intent of Agile is, I mean, I don't know what customers want. I'm making an assumption. I want to test it out. So I test out my hypothesis by having the team build part of it, doing a sprint review, putting it in front of the customers and saying, all right, customers, try this out, or at least look at it and validate that this is what you value. And then if it is, then you build the rest of it. But if it's not, then the scrum team has saved some time because they figured out, oh, we were planning to build this, but customers don't really want it. So then you stop. Go build something else. Yeah, I think positioning is more about the choice of what you're assuming the customer's value versus how you are going to deliver it.
0: As well, as a I, was, what? I was thinking about some things, but then I, I I sort of answered my own questions. But I guess I'll speak it out just because why not? But um, let's say for instance, like Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. Before Starbucks, no one wanted to pay like coffee that came with an extra doll of pretension was kind of burnt and costed twice as much as any other coffee.
1: Right.
0: Nobody wanted it. Like, wasn't a thing. Uh, so like if you were to like half built Starbucks, right? And kind of test it out and see if it worked, no one would do it. Like, You needed like the whole thing. You needed like you know, the uh, the you know the cartoonish world music uh, CDs playing, um, the funky graphic design on the on the aprons, and calling your waiters, baristas, and uh, making funny names for small, medium, and large. You needed all those stuff to like, otherwise it wouldn't have taken off at all probably or am i wrong
1: not only do i agree i want to go a step further so i do think you need all that because i think that most of the public thinks that starbucks sells coffee but that's not what people value you can get much cheaper coffee at the gas station right so the third of the price um
0: I agree. I, for I agree. uh you're talking when, to someone who only goes into Starbucks at airports because there's no other available coffee. Right. But um,
1: yeah. The, the, uh, and actually, you know, Dunkin' Donuts always gets labeled or when they when they rate coffee, Dunkin' Donuts gets rated as having the better coffee. You know, 100% so not, yeah. yeah, don't Go going there for coffee. What, I think what Starbucks is selling. It's this feeling of exclusivity in this high stakes club. And if you wanna make yourself uh, seem exclusive and important, right, you create a tribe. And one thing you do is you create your own language, right? And those who actually know the language, right, belong to the club, they're accepted. And those who don't know the language, or outside the club, and and that's why they called everything by a different name and didn't just say small, medium, large. Instead, it's tall, grande, and venti. Right, you have to be a member of the club. Um, the- I had this,
0: I had this weird air, uh, like when I was stuck in America, mm-hmm. I had this like weird encounter at the airport where I was like, "Can I get a large coffee?" And they're like, "I," they're like, "What do you want?" I forgot what it's called, but I know what they call it. I, but I saw it on the thing like I could read. And I was like, no, I would like a large coffee. And they like, okay, so a venti coffee. I was like, well, you know, I'd like a large one, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're, they're trying to they're trying to make you talk the language, right?
0: I'm not like, you know, I'm not here to become a convert. I, want, I just want some coffee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that what people are starting to figure out is most people don't just want the commodity product. They want all this other stuff that goes with it. Okay, and they want to pay it. a premium for
0: it. So I'm saying, like, how would you Agile test out Starbucks?
1: Well, Starbucks actually did use Agile for it. What they did was they had this scheme to... You know, made this exclusive experience. Because again, people were going to Starbucks because it was the cool place to hang out. It really wasn't because the coffee was so great. Right. You would you would buy your coffee, stay in there, listen to the cool coffee house music, and hopefully interact with some of the cool people that were there. Right. And that's what they were selling was that exclusive type club. And people- Starbucks has tested-
0: Uh Do people actually interact at Starbucks? Because, I mean, in the airport, no one did. I mean, they did, but, like, it's because it's an airport. Like, I spoke to people at the airport, but not all of them had coffee.
1: Yeah, and, like, the reason they have all the the chairs and everything at most Starbucks, we have regular customers, people who are going in at the same time, and they know each other. It'd be like, you know, cheers. uh, Where people would come in and they knew each other. And they get to say hi and reminisce and things like that. So, the the coffee house became this place to chat and meet up and talk to people more than it became a place to just get coffee. Great. You can track that with like a Dunkin' Donuts, which was designed not for you to eat there, but you go there, get your stuff, and go. (laughs) And it, it tested that out. And initially, that was the whole focus. Right? And then what they found out later on is that, oh, you know what? there's a large population that just wants the coffee and just wants to leave. And when uh, Starbucks tested that out, they actually started retrofitting their new Starbucks with drive-throughs in order to accommodate. So I mean, they literally tested out their their assumptions, tested out their strategy, and then changed the way they started doing their delivery based on it
0: there's a large group of people that actually want starbucks coffee over other coffee
1: well see now when when, once the brand and this is evolution over time they were always selling this kind of status like you're in the club and once they got a large enough following where people were really drinking starbucks now the status thing is so big That you don't have to stay at the Starbucks to enjoy the status people can recognize the Starbucks cup and you still get the status so people are buying it and taking it to go Um, and they walk every i've never seen you know when people drink a pepsi they drink a coke and they just drink it and they throw it away and you don't see as many people with pepsi and coke cans walking around every day everywhere when people drink starbucks they'll have that starbucks cup all day right and most of the time they'll drink the coffee and they'll put like water in it and keep the cup and they're walking around all day with that uh named starbucks cup because i'm
0: sure none of them have thought about this no one or did they (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I i think starbucks thought about it and that I don't said. know but i'm
0: saying the people doing this they might probably never thought about it. like i can't imagine like it's not like i mean listen anybody could buy starbucks you know like listen, i mean i was there you know like it's not like super cheap but it's not like uh i mean like it's not like you know prohibitively priced like a rolex you know like right that's <laughs> like you don't have to take out a second mortgage or like choose between Starbucks or rent <laughs> maybe, I mean some people do maybe but then they definitely should not be drinking Starbucks
1: <laughs> but I mean nonetheless I mean I think we are in this situation where um, Starbucks is this recognized commodity item and again people I think there's a Starbucks by a, a local high school and it became the cool thing if you could afford it to, after school to hang out at Starbucks and, and you make fun of the kids that didn't have enough money to do it all every day, right? Dark. It became status.
0: Uh-huh.
1: After they're living on it. And you're right. People don't think about it. Because um, if, if you thought about it, again, you, you've actually said Starbucks isn't the greatest coffee. It's not your first place to go. So if if you thought about it, you probably feel bad about yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, let's, let's just be clear. Like it's, 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 like burnt or like way dark roast. There's no subtlety to the coffee at all. It's you just, the thing of pretentiousness you're getting is that like, is that like most places want it to be like pleasant, but like, it's like I don't know, like people who listen to Alan Berg and think like, oh, they like really appreciate music when like, they really just like uh, appreciate everyone else hating the music that they listen to, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's there's this new wave, right, uh, of people that watch movies and subtitled, and it's like that means your culture. And I'm like, no, not really.
0: <laughs> no. It's- really? Like Ameri- like I mean like English speakers? Because I mean yeah. in Israel, that's like a way of life. Like I mean, not they watch American films. Like no one wants to hear like no one wants to hear like, you know, a rom com uh, dubbed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, no. Hollywood pretty much ran the ran the globe for a while, so um, Americans never had to do that. All, all the the cool movies and everything were in English. And uh, we still have enough movies that it's like that, but people are starting to um, consider themselves more cultured if they actually watch movies with subtitles. So even the movies that are dubbed in English, Um They'll actually read, uh, look at the original, and uh, but with the subtitles on it, and and it's just for that exclusivity, right?
0: Uh huh. Not not just kung fu, right? Because those are like funny. (laughs) Yeah,
1: those are bad dubs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I think we're in this new age where there was a there was an old theory that. Doing stuff, I think there was an old theory that customers wanted a certain type of value. And it was all about how you did things differently to actually deliver that value. But you're going after the same thing. So you change the packaging and stuff like that. Um, And but most of the time you were given the same stuff. So everyone kind of copied each other. And I think that there's some new theories like blue ocean strategy, which are based on the fact that people guess what customers want and you deliver all these different um, features and different things in your, uh, in what you sell. But again, we don't all get it right. And there's opportunity yeah there's opportunities when we deliver parts of it correctly but there's other parts that people may be doing that don't hit the right value and it's wasteful. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, I I like I fly a lot so I like being part of a star alliance and the airport their flight status program. And it's, yeah, it's only because okay. I, I fly so much that um, I get the certain status. And then I love being treated better than all the other customers because I, I, I have so much mileage that that part's uh-huh. cool to me. Um, but 85% of the public only flies once a year. So most people don't actually care about the flight status care about loyalty programs
0: right honestly honestly every time i fly and i like i like fly like maybe like two or three times a year Mm -hmm. i just like i just think like oh man like if i flew more i would like totally get that because like it's it'd be so cool right now but like right now my life sucks because i'm in a i'm waiting in an airport and i have to be here early and i have to stand in the stupid line and I have to, like, all these things that suck. I was, like, thinking, like, yeah, I would totally get that. But then I'm, like, no, it's it's not worth it because it's only, like, I mean, I, I, I fly, I think, more than the average person living in a foreign country, but still.
1: Yeah. Well, so people didn't think that airlines like JetBlue or Southwest could actually get as much market share as all the other airlines before they came about they were competing with these frequent flyer programs. And, you know, you go on these other airlines, you can buy your ticket and you get to choose your seat. They have assigned seats. Um, they have you know, first class. right? So different types of seats for different travelers. And all these perks for free- frequent flyers that exist, um, Southwest and JetBlue, like, you can't get any of that stuff. Like They they basically made a determination that their customers didn't care about that stuff. So they weren't gonna provide it. And because it, they didn't provide it, their cost structure was much lower. If, if you don't have assigned seats, it's just about, hey, when, when the time for the plane to go, everyone just hurries up and picks a seat. So the boarding time and lift all time is actually much easier, right? You now there's the, all the perks that the rest of the industry that you had to have strategically southwest and jet blue i mean the the no frills airlines recognized that their customers didn't care about it so they didn't provide it
0: yeah so and, like it, it turns out that like this is like changed the whole flight industry where it's going to become suckier and suckier except for, like a few other ones because like now they're doing all those experiments and realizing like yeah like Will people like pay like slightly more for a little more legroom? No. Will people like pay slightly more for like, um, you know, like uh, for like a better meal? No. <laughs> well, like, you'll just most people will just buy the cheapest ticket,
1: <laughs> right? And that's what people were doing. And so again, well, I guess my argument is that. The definition they have for strategic positioning here is more based on how you deliver it. But I think that the real, the crux of strategic positioning is not on how your company operates to deliver something. It's really in the choice of what you're delivering to your customer, what you choose as value.
0: Yeah, so what I I thought you were going to totally like zero in on and why I shared this with you is because uh, I noticed here that they call strategic positioning and they say, oh, making choices. As if operational effectiveness is like, oh, all the choices have been made.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think the way they're presenting it, they're both focused on how you do stuff. Right? And again, like you just pointed out, I think that there are choices in either
0: one, right?
1: I just, I, yeah, like uh, I
0: say, because you you like meaning like I think mostly what what programmers are supposed to do, right? Is like they would call that operational effectiveness, right? Like they would they would think that that's what that is, right? Right. Like, and yet, like, and you're you're always like saying like, yes, programmer's job is to actually make decisions. But uh, no, apparently it's just validating and executing.
1: <laughs> so I, one of my pet peeves about um, the industry, when we talk about strategy, we, it seems as though only the very top people uh, who get paid, you know a billion dollars a year, like they're the only ones that have a strategy that they create it and maintain it, and no one else in the company does
0: so like right. basically like about a thousand people on earth
1: right <laughs> <laughs> and i think that if you can get away with that narrative then it makes sense that that the thousand people on earth who do strategy at the top of the company yeah since we're the only ones to do it supply and demand we should get it paid hundreds of times more than the guy that sweeps the, sweeps the floor of my company right it justifies the high salary but well, reality, the guy who
0: sweeps the floor, I mean, I don't know, hundreds of times more. That seems about right. <laughs> like a of times, like billions versus like whatever. No, but like the CEO should make a hundred times more than the janitor. Like, I, I don't know. I could I I could justify it. Like I, I would I would sleep at night.
1: <laughs> and I'll probably use a bad number if we Google it right now.
0: It's probably, probably way probably more than hundred. Like, I don't think the CEO yeah. is making a hundred times more than janitor. I think he's making like, like at least at least three hundred times more than the janitor.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably more, it's closer to your thousand number.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I would have said. But like, uh, you know, I don't want to like. I, I I try to do like the back of the mat, the napkin math while talking to you. So, you know. <laughs> But yeah, like the difference between minimum wage, and you know, even like you know, even like three billion in equity, <laughs> three billion in but, equity, is like it's not yeah, it's way over a <laughs> thousand, or even a yeah, million. Yeah, I, I just
1: for, for for giggles, I just I just googled it, and it said that the uh, the average worker. Gets um, average, the average executive gets paid 351 times more than a typical worker. Right. What worker? Typical. Worker. Yeah, typical worker. So 351 times more.
0: Oh, man, 300 hours. Yeah. Was, that was really close, but that wasn't the yeah. CEO. That's just an executive.
1: No, the CEO. The CEO.
0: Okay, fine.
1: So, like, you know, the, uh, the reason I brought that up, you know, I think that we def- we change the definition of strategy to make it seem like you know the CEOs are like the only ones that do it, so they deserve to make all that much more money than everyone else. When really, a strategy is just your approach to reaching the goals of the organization. You know, okay, this, let, the-
0: let me just, let me just do the obvious here. Mm-hmm. So, like. If that was the case, what would be the point in this thing over here? It says Harvard. If there, if there wasn't like a subclass of humans that, due to economic positioning, uh, and the ability to get to pass standardized tests, uh, have been given the keys to society.
1: Yeah, and no, yeah, that. School is another good uh example of is packaging, right? Everything that uh especially nowadays, anything they teach at Harvard, can I just pick up on the internet or a library and learn the same stuff?
0: Absolutely not. No, no. It's 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 the it's the enrichment of, of of balancing ideas, that have other spoiled rich kids. That is really what Harvard. <laughs> is.
1: I mean, really, when I mean, if you go to Harvard versus learning this stuff on your own, um, you know, from the library, isn't this really more about, um, you know, the prestige? Isn't that what they're really selling? The prestige of Harvard. They built up this brand that the smartest people actually go here. So if you get in, you're willing to pay big money to prove that you're smarter than everyone else, right?
0: Uh, and you smarter are so. because you are because you paid all that money.
1: <laughs> well, it, you know it. It works out because people want to feel smarter than everybody else, right?
0: You you heard the one about the you heard the one about the 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 there's a uh, I mean it's like one of these things that like. Uh you know, like I, I don't like so like the the, the you know you have uh, you have uh, a so back in Europe they used to think like Jews were like so much smarter than than, than everyone else. So uh they have the joke about like a Polak uh Polak um yes. Polish whole Polish <laughs> Yeah, so a Polish a Polish uh, conduct engineer, like conduct train conductor goes up to a this Jewish guy who's eating his locks, sorry, his his uh, his, his herring on the on the on the train, and he says, "How can you Jews are like so smart? Like how do I, like what's the secret?" And he says, "Well, it's because we eat herring. And then he's like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, it's because we eat so, so much herring and you know, fish is a brain food, blah, blah blah." In fact, you know, I'll like I'll I'll sell you this Schmaltz herring for like a hundred zlatas. And the guy says, Oh, really? Great. And then he, bought, so he so he's he quick, he's quickly, he quickly gives him the hundred zlatas and he says, uh, and he starts eating it. And he says, wait a minute, could I just bought the same schmaltz herring you bought at a store for $20? And he says, You see, it's working already. <laughs>
1: actually so i'm working with the uh a sales guy yesterday and he's, he's like let me know in order to sell stuff the key isn't having the best product it's all about the messaging that you create that evokes the emotion that the person who's buying it you know it's going to feel and the better you are at tapping into the emotion the more they're going to pay for whatever it is you're selling. Right. It's, they make decisions emotionally, not about the product, but about the way they feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, going back to this, the definition, I think that, again, strategic positioning is about figuring out what that value is um, that the, the your, your users really, really care about. And it's never just about the product. It's always about that emotional piece and if you tap into it and you make different choices about how that value is actually uh, given to your customers then that's how you actually win in the marketplace that's what it's all about choices right and again, you know again, i always get on my soapbox about not using the word requirements because requirements kind of indicates that something has to be a certain way it's really required when in reality, you're making a choice, right? It's a choice that you're making about what what customers value, and you can make a different choice. You could you could actually deliver part of the value they want, not the whole thing, and, and which happens, right? You got different companies choosing to deliver different pieces of value that customers want.
0: Yes, creating a, a unique value proposition.
1: Yeah i think that's what it's about right not how you deliver but more of what you deliver.
0: so that's what that i'm saying here that's what they're defining as strategic positioning but yeah yeah i
1: i, I think i know so i think what they're saying is a little slightly different See, so they say creating a unique value proposition i think that they're they're speaking a little bit more towards how you um, package this thing versus what gets packaged. But at the bottom, it said doing things differently to deliver value compared to rivals. I think they're doing things differently. Um, I think they're discussing a little bit about how you deliver it. What do you think? And I'm saying, hey, it's about what you're delivering
0: it's not doing anything different to deliver value compared to rivals it's about delivering something that the rivals are not delivering exactly i got that yeah Um, and by the way if you wanted to know how to delivering it aspx man (laughs) like it's like it's like it's 1995
1: (laughs) you mean it's not
0: (laughs) it's 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 it's, listen When you have, uh, when when you're Ivy League, it's always 1995.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All that money is scared to upgrade their technology, right?
0: ASP, man, that's the way to go.
1: I guess that's how they keep their money, right?
0: I mean, yeah, they don't have like a, they don't have like a, you know, what is it? Like the endowment that's like better, that's like more than the GDP of like most developing nations, uh, you know, by, uh, and, and. And many second-world nations, uh, just just by um, just by paying developers to actually keep their their site information up to date.
1: Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think so. I think that the reason. Um, so and read the line up here. It says strategy is about doing things differently not simply doing them better than anyone else. It's, it's almost contradictory to what they have in the picture, right? <laughs> but nonetheless.
0: No, because they, they think you're going to do the same thing. You're just going to do it differently. Meaning, like, right. they're thinking, like, the whole, like, stupid, like, I mean, basically, all this, all this BS could be, like, work smart, smarter, not harder. Right. Like, meaning, like, it's just, I mean, which is, like, kind of, like, you know, could be said about a lot of Agile, but, you know, like, but Agile, I think, gets in the, in the weeds of, like, what, is, what constitutes smarter.
1: Yes, but from an Agile perspective, smarter is only doing the stuff that customers value and not producing anything else, right? The, the thing you're trying to combat in Agile is a waste of over-processing. Like don't do more than the customers want, and I think that was the, the kind of the old model here. Is we're we're saying, hey, you know what? We think we already know what customers want, and everyone knows it. It's just about you figuring out how to deliver it cheaper and faster than your than your competition. So it, it's a little bit of hubris in this. We think we. No, the underlying assumption is you think you already know what the customers is going to buy. I hear that, which is ridiculous. If, if we that actually like do, you, with-
0: meaning that, that's the whole meaning. We, you just it's assuming too much. You've already like uh, you've already like yes. You'll you're smart. You'll figure out what it is that customers want. We're just like you know we're we're talking about the next step, right.
1: And I don't think people realize that the whole one of the main purposes of uh, of Scrum and the Agile process is the underlying assumption is that we don't know what customers want. We need to put something in front of them, get their feedback on a constant basis, and by putting something in front of them, getting their feedback and figure out what we're doing wrong. We'll do that experimentation process, understand what they really want. Yeah. So you're refining, refining your understanding.
0: So um, I was on the train with somebody the other day. Uh, and he's a developer, and his father's a developer. He's like he's like just starting in the business. And his father is like uh, his father's like an old developer from IBM. And basically his father told me he hates agile because in IBM they thought of everything in advance and they knew what needed to be done, and then they planned it properly, whereas now with Agile, people just... So, yeah, I did mention to him that, like, yeah, like, they talk about the fact that, like, 95% or more of all of all software projects starting that time failed. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I get it. I, I, like, you know, like, I agree with you that that would be better. Like, if you could do it. If you were able to plan it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah if if everyone knew all the stuff that they they thought they knew there would be a lot more success out there
0: i mean listen you know like uh, i understand it because i mean probably you understand it. i'm sure you understand it too but i'm saying like i i understand it because like you know i grew up with russians <laughs> you know <laughs> like, you know his father like i know his father like a russian guy he's like you know like a sweet man like like yeah like we know everything until you prove that we don't know something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and actually, then you know what? That given that that's like the main thrust of what Scrum and Agile should be. What we should do is we should follow this up another episode and go into detail of here's how Agile does that. Right.
0: For sure. Yes. What do you think? Yeah. I'm down with that. Let's do that next.
1: All right, let's do it. In okay. that case, we'll we'll wrap up this one. And uh in the next episode, we'll follow up on this, but we'll go into detail. Here's how Agile helps you figure out what customers really value.
0: Uh-huh. We didn't do the code review section this time. We'll have to do that next time. Yeah, let's we'll do that next time too. Yeah. we well, are you know, like maybe we'll do it, maybe we'll start off with the code review. Cause I, I'm probably going to cut it out of the podcast because it's not as auditorially appealing, right? Like, But yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to stop recording. One second. How do I do that? So I'll cool. stop sharing.